You're listening to Pastor Ryan Couch at Calvary Chapel of Crook County as he teaches through the book of Luke. If you have your Bibles ready, let's join Pastor Ryan now. Last week we spoke about our mission as Christians, that we're on a mission. It's an exciting mission. It's a mission that if you choose to accept it, will be the most phenomenal thing that you've ever been a part of. But many, sadly, neglect their mission. Many of you have neglected your mission. Many of you don't even understand what your mission is and how can you fulfill your purpose in life if you don't even know what you're doing? How can you accomplish what it is that God has set out for you if you don't even understand what that is? And that's sad because we have an amazing mission. It's a mission that was started by Jesus, the first missionary who stepped out of heaven. He stepped out of the glory of eternity and stepped into time. And he made amazing sacrifices for you and I. And that mission has now been transferred to you and to me. And this mission is to preach the kingdom of God. This mission is to expand and to further his kingdom. Not our kingdom, but his kingdom. To see his kingdom established and built up. To see Jesus glorified and magnified. To make his name famous. Many of us have had the notion that our goal in life is to make our name famous, but it's to make Jesus famous. That's what our goal is. That's what we should be pursuing, is to make Jesus famous. He ought to be the focus of our life, and His kingdom ought to be our mission. Jesus said, just as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. You've been sent. Whether you realize it, recognize it, or embrace that is up to you. And although our mission is very simple, it's very exciting, it's the most phenomenal thing that you'll ever be a part of, there are things that become hindrances to our mission, things that distract us, things that derail us from the plan of God. And this morning I want to look at five things in our text that distract and derail us from the mission of God, from the mission that God has for us. Five things in verses 28 to 62. And the first is that we fail to recognize Jesus. In verses 28 to 36, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up on the mountain. A familiar passage to us, the transfiguration. But up on the mountain, the disciples that were there fail to recognize who Jesus is. They fail to recognize exactly what is going on. And that distracts us and derails us from our mission when we don't understand who Jesus is. When we fail to recognize who Jesus is. It says, Now it came to pass about eight days after these sayings that he took Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. In verse 27, Jesus told the disciples that there are some standing here, I believe, Peter, James, and John, who would not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. And so Jesus is going to show them the kingdom of God. He's going to show them who he is. But they're going to fail to recognize that. He brings them up on the mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered. And his robe became white and glistening. And so what's happening here is Jesus is showing them his glory. His face went from a normal, Jewish, masculine, human face to the face that revealed not the entirety and the fullness of God, but a face that was transfigured, a a face that revealed to them that he was more than just a man. As we've looked at in our study in Luke, he's fully God, he's fully man. 
His robe became white and glistening. A white that you and I can't even resonate with. A white that Clorox can't attain to. A a white that would absolutely bring us to our knees. A, A purity, a cleanness, a glory that we can't even fathom. His robe became white and glistening. And behold, two men talked with him who were Moses and Elijah. So if it wasn't enough that Jesus is showing his glory, if it wasn't enough that that there's such a, a radiance about him, but now Elijah and Moses are hanging out there as well. And they've been dead for a long time. So this is quite the scene. They appeared in their glory as well. And they spoke of his decease, it says in the King James, probably better the New King James, better translated his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. And so Moses and Elijah and Jesus are speaking of his soon departure, that he's going to be leaving the earth and ascending to heaven. But Peter and those with him were heavy with sleep. It seems like every time something important's happening, Peter is asleep. Maybe you can kind of relate to that, that whenever things are are happening. Whenever God is moving, you seem to be missing out because you're asleep. Maybe not physically asleep, but essentially you're in a fog. You're, you're in a slumber of your own sin, of your own selfishness, of your own failure to realize who Jesus is. Keith Green, a Christian musician back in the 70s and 80s, used to say that Christians are asleep in the light. I think it's very true. It's very easy to, to be asleep. It's very easy to be going through the motions, to, to be having the appearance that you're there, but in reality, you're checked out. There's nobody home. That's what was happening with Peter and those with him. They were heavy with sleep. And when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Then it happened as they were parting with him that Peter said to Jesus, Master, It is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles or three dwelling places, three tents. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Not knowing what he said. Peter, a lot like us, always felt like he had to say something. Because he typically didn't know what was going on. He's asleep here. He's clueless. But he feels like he's got to say something. You know when you go visit somebody in the hospital? Someone who's had a terrible accident and you feel like you've got to say something, and so you end up saying something really stupid, that's Peter. Always feeling like he's got to say something. People say the most insane things when they don't know what to say. When you're nervous, when you're out of your element. And that's what Peter does here. Figuring that he's got to say something. It's silent. It's, it's awkward. It's uncomfortable. I'm going to fill in the silence with some stupid remark. Hey, Jesus, it's, it's really good that we're here. I mean, this is awesome. I mean, I know I was sleeping just a minute ago. Obviously, it's not that good that we're here because I've been sacked out this whole time, but it's really good that we're here. How about we make some tents? We're, we're going to stay here. We're going to make a Christian commune out of this place. Jesus, do you realize what's happening here? I mean, this is phenomenal. We've got the three pillars of the Judeo-Christian faith all in one place. We've got Moses who represents the law. Elijah who represents the prophets. And now Jesus who represents... Well, we don't really know what you represent, Jesus, but, but you're cool. We know you're important, so 
I mean, we've got, we've got a three-headed monster here. This is phenomenal. We, we need to commemorate this. But Peter didn't know what he was talking about because he was putting Moses and Elijah on an equal plane with Jesus. And while he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them. And they were fearful as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son. Hear Him. So in other words, God the Father just interrupts Peter mid-sentence, which happens to Peter on a regular basis. That Peter gets interrupted as he's talking, as he thinks he's saying something that's important. In reality, he's just having diarrhea of the mouth. He doesn't know what to say. He doesn't know how to handle the situation. And so he just blurts out things. God the Father interrupts him and says, Look, Peter, this is my beloved son. This is not Moses. This is not Elijah. They were men. And that's all they were. But this is my son. He's fully man, yes. But he's also fully God. The fullness of the deity dwells in him. Do not try to put him on the same level as Moses and Elijah. And when the voice had ceased, Jesus was found alone. But they kept quiet and told no one in those days any of the things they had seen. And so the first failure is the failure to recognize Jesus. That's what we see here. That derails us and distracts us from our mission. When, when Jesus is just an important part of history, when Jesus is just an important part of our life, when Jesus is one aspect of our life, Amongst many other things, Jesus is certainly there and, and we go to church and we believe in Him and we sing songs about Him, we talk about Him, but there's other things that are equally as important to us. There are other things that are right there with Him. And when that's the case, we will be distracted from our mission because our mission has to be Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And that has to be the most important message in the world to you. Jesus has to be the most important person in the world to you. More important than your spouse. More important than your children. More important than anything you're pursuing. He has to be your passionate pursuit. And if He isn't, you won't be on your mission. You'll be on something else. You'll be following somebody else or something else. You won't be on your mission. Another thing that distracts and derails us from the plan of God and from the mission of God is that we fail to trust Jesus. Verses 37 to 42. It says, Now it happened on the next day. So they are up on the mountain. They spend the night. The next day when they had come down from the mountain that a great multitude met him. And suddenly a man from the multitude cried out saying, Teacher, I implore you or I beg you. Look on my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him, a, a demon seizes him. And he suddenly cries out, and it convulses him, so that he foams at the mouth, and it departs from him with great difficulty, bruising him. And so this demon is, is not only ravaging this boy spiritually and emotionally, but he's also harming him physically. So I implored your disciples, I begged your disciples, the, the nine that were left at the base of the mountain. I, I've been begging them to cast it out, but they could not. Then Jesus answered and said, O oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and bear with you? How long should I put up with you? Bring your son here. And as he was still coming, the demon threw him down and convulsed him. Then Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit. 
healed the child and gave him back to his father. The gospel of Mark and other gospels tell us that the disciples, the the nine that were unable to cast this demon out of this young boy, then asked Jesus, what's up? We've been trying to do this for a full day and we have not been able to. And Jesus simply said, this kind comes out only by prayer and fasting. The point of this story is to show us that the disciples had the ability to heal this boy, to minister to this boy. But they were unable because of their lack of faith, because of their lack of preparation, because of their failure to trust Jesus. And that will derail and distract us from our mission when we fail to trust Jesus. When given the opportunity to tell people about Jesus and we don't really believe the message. We don't really think that it's as amazing to them as it is to us because of our fear. Or maybe it's because we think they're too far gone and and it's not really going to be effective for them. They they need more than just Jesus. They need professional help as if Jesus isn't professional enough. I, I can't just simply tell them about Jesus. I mean, this person, they need counseling. They need in depth psychotherapy. Jesus isn't enough for them. And we fail to trust Jesus. We fail to trust the message. We fail to believe that it's powerful. That's what happened with these disciples. Their lack of faith didn't allow them to simply pray for this child, this young boy, and to see God deliver him. If we don't believe that the message of the gospel is the most amazing message on the face of the earth, then we're not going to talk about it. If we don't believe that the message of the gospel is applicable to every single human being, then we're not going to tell everybody about it. If we don't believe that the message of the gospel will revolutionize somebody's life, then we're not going to share it. We don't trust it. We don't trust its power. We don't trust the power of the Holy Spirit to take our words to capture somebody's heart and to change a life. We don't, if we don't trust Jesus and the message, and his power, then we'll be off our mission. A third way that we become distracted and derailed from the mission of God is the failure to understand Jesus. We fail to understand Jesus. Look at verses 43 to 45. And they were all amazed at the majesty of God. But while everyone marveled at all the things which Jesus did, he said to his disciples, let these words sink down into your ears. For the Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying, and it was hidden from them. So they did not perceive it, and they were afraid to ask him about this saying. They didn't understand. They didn't understand the mission of Jesus, and therefore they didn't understand their mission. If we don't understand Jesus' mission, what he came to accomplish, if we don't understand the gospel, if we don't understand the message the unfolding plan of God throughout Scripture, and we don't understand it personally, then we will not be on our mission and will fail to accomplish what God has for us. If we think that Jesus is just a great teacher, if we think that Jesus is just somebody who is an example for us to follow, as Kevin was saying this morning, Jesus came to deliver us from our sin. That's the message. That's who Jesus is. And we have to embrace that. We have to understand that if we want to be on our mission. 
the disciples did not understand it. Jesus said, let these words sink down into your ears, literally into your hearts. Let it capture you. Let it captivate you. But they didn't understand. Do you understand? Do you understand who Jesus is? What he came to do? And what he's doing right now? Do you understand the mission of God? If you do, it will put you on your mission. If you don't, you'll be distracted and derailed from your mission. A fourth way that we're distracted and derailed from our mission, from the mission of God, is that we fail to follow Jesus. And I think this is indicated in three ways in our text. Verses 46 to 56, we see three ways in which we fail to follow Jesus. We fail to look at his life and to see this is how Jesus lived and therefore this is how I ought to live. I need to follow Jesus. In 1 John, John says, if we claim to follow Jesus, we ought to walk just as Jesus walked. And it's very sad when you look at the life of a Christian. What is a Christian? A Christian is one who follows Jesus. That's what it means. When you look at the life of a Christian and you see anything but Christ, something's wrong with that picture, right? It's just like when you look at the church and you see anything but Jesus. There's something wrong with that. That's not a church. That's a gathering of people, but it's not a church. Christians are followers of Jesus. That means not perfectly because we're sinners. We're going to fail. But there ought to be a semblance. There ought to be a passion There ought to be a desire for us to have our lives modeled and shaped by Jesus. And when we fail to do that, when we fail to follow Jesus properly, we're off our mission. Because, you guys, part of our mission is that people want to see the message impacting us. They want to see that this thing that we're talking about, this message that we say is so amazing, that it's had an impact on us. And if it hasn't, then we have absolutely misrepresented the message. The first way that we fail to follow Jesus is with pride. Verses 46 to 48. Here this this whole scene is happening with the disciples that were left at the bottom of the mountain unable to cast this demon out. Jesus rebukes them. Jesus then prays for the boy and sets this boy free. Now they're amazed and they're marveling at the majesty of God. Jesus is telling them about his crucifixion, that he's going to be handed over to the religious mafia. They don't understand it. And so, hey, isn't this a good time to start talking about who the greatest is among us? Isn't this just a wonderful time for us to get into a debate as to who Jesus likes the most and who has the most potential? A dispute arose among them as to which of them would be the greatest. And I wonder if this stemmed from the fact that the nine were left and and they were unable to cast this demon out of the boy. And the three that came down, I mean, they're puffed up with pride because they got to see Jesus in all his glory. And they're feeling really special. And so now the three and the nine are kind of going at it. And you can see Peter, James, and John saying, Come on, guys, why couldn't you have cast this demon out? You guys are weak sauce. And Jesus, perceiving the thought of their heart, took a little child and set him by him. And he said to them, whoever receives this little child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you will be great. The disciples were always wondering who was the greatest. Who Jesus loved the most. 
who would have the most responsibility? Who would get to sit at the right hand and the left hand? Jesus said, look, see this little child? This is what the kingdom of God is all about. It's about simplicity. It's about humility. Pride, when given place in our life, will derail us and distract us from the plan of God, from our mission. If we allow pride to go unchecked in our life, it will puff us up and it will cause people to be turned off from the message. What people are drawn to is humility and simplicity. What people are drawn to is Jesus flowing through us. And when we allow him to do that, it isn't pride that comes out because there's no pride in Jesus. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. There was no pride at all in Jesus. There's no pride in God. And pride is, is us elevating ourselves to the place of, of God in our life. And it's got to go because it's idolatry. It's the worship of self. And it distracts and derails us from our mission. Another thing that keeps us from following Jesus properly, not only pride, but division. Verses 49 and 50. Now John answered and said, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him because he does not follow with us. But Jesus said to him, Do not forbid him, for he who is not against us is on our side. The, the term is sectarianism. It, it's basically dividing yourself up into groups and saying, I belong to this group and we're better than you. And it happens in the church, sadly to say, when Christians of a particular flavor and a particular philosophy of ministry gather together and they begin to say, we're the best. And actually some will even say, we're the only ones. We're the ones with real truth. We're the ones with the deeper knowledge. We're the ones with the best way of doing things. And it's a tendency that can creep into any group, can certainly creep into Calvary Chapel or Baptists or Presbyterians or the Charismatics or the Conservatives or the Reformed or the Arminians, it, it, where you basically say, we're best. Our way of doing things is the best. We've got the corner on the truth. And it's opposed to God. It's opposed to Jesus because Jesus prayed for unity. Now, certainly there are things that we ought to divide over. Certainly there are things that we ought to be willing to die for. And those things ought to separate the person and work of Jesus Christ, the authority of the Scriptures, the theology of God, the Trinity. But you know what? That list is really short. We've made it really long. We begin to divide over things that really don't matter. When Jesus is coming back, how often you ought to take communion. Who should be in leadership and how leadership should be structured and how the government of a church should operate. And all of these things that the Bible really isn't that clear about. Because I think God has given us some levity, some freedom to have a philosophy of ministry, a flavor of ministry that works for us. And I mean, I like to say my philosophy of ministry is the best for me. If I didn't think it was the best then I ought to go and do and adopt the best because I'm settling for something that I don't think is superior. And so there's nothing wrong with saying, I like my style, my flavor, our way of doing things the best, but it shouldn't divide us. And we should be able to worship with other Christians. Maybe not regularly, but we should be able to have fellowship with them and love them 
and see that we're on the same mission. Now, I may not like their style. I may not like the fact that they run up and down the aisles with banners and blow shofars. And, you know, that's probably not, that's not me. We're not going to do that. But that doesn't mean that we ought to divide. But if somebody starts saying that, that Jesus isn't God or that Jesus wasn't really a man or they start denying the Trinity or they start to rip passages out of the Bible and say that this doesn't really apply, God didn't really mean this, or they start twisting things to make it say something other than what it says, then we can divide over that. We can break fellowship over those things. But dividing over silliness, dividing over style, dividing over minor issues is sin. It derails us from our mission as Christians. Because as a community of believers, all the local churches... We are the face of Jesus Christ to this community. Whether we're Calvary Chapel or Baptist or Presbyterian or Church of Christ, do you think the person in the community really cares? The lost person, do you think they really care where you go to church? They want to know the truth. And we shouldn't be feeding them our philosophy of ministry. We should be giving them Jesus. And these disciples had it wrong. They they were dividing themselves. And Jesus said, look, If he's not against us, he's on our side. We're looking at this fourth way in which we become derailed and distracted from the mission of God. First, we see that it's pride. Secondly, we we see that it's division that causes us to fail to follow Jesus. The third thing is that we misrepresent God. It's a misrepresentation. Verses 51 to 56. Now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up. That is that it was becoming time for Jesus to return to heaven, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face. And as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. So Jesus is now beginning to set his course toward his crucifixion. And nothing will distract him from that. Nothing will derail him from that. Why? Because he was on a mission. He understood his mission. And nothing was going to cause him to get off of that mission. Jesus sends messengers before him, and they enter a village of the Samaritans. But the Samaritans did not receive him, because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. Remember, there was a division between the Samaritans and the rest of the Jews. The Samaritans were half-breeds. They were looked down on by the Jews. They worshipped on Mount Gerizim, not in Jerusalem. They had separated themselves, not only in public life, but in their religious life. There was a great division between the Samaritans and the Jews. And so when Jesus comes there, they want him to stay. They want him to hang out. And Jesus said, no, I'm, I'm heading to Jerusalem. And they didn't like that. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? And so the Samaritans don't receive Jesus. And so James and John say, hey, do you want us to smoke them out? Do you want us just to kill them right here, Lord? We're ready. They don't like you. We'll do, we'll do away with them. But Jesus turned and rebuked them and said, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. And so P- James and John misrepresented Jesus. They gave the Samaritans... The idea that God, that Jesus was mad at them. That he wanted to kill them. And that wasn't the case. 
And it will distract and derail us from our mission when we're not following Jesus properly and we're giving people the idea that Jesus is mad, that he wants to judge people when we misrepresent God, when we're harsh with people. Because Jesus loves people. Jesus gave everything for people. And so when we misrepresent God, we're misrepresenting the mission. And so this fourth way that we become distracted and derailed is that we fail to follow Jesus. We fail to follow His example with our pride, with our division from other believers by thinking we're better, and with misrepresenting God by giving people the idea that Jesus is upset with them, that He wants to judge them. And the fifth and final way that we become derailed and distracted from our mission, you guys, is that we fail to make sacrifices for Jesus. We fail to make sacrifices for Him. Part of your mission is being willing to sacrifice. And we talk a lot about that because I think it's all over the Word. Jesus gave His life. He sacrificed everything. He who is rich became poor for your sakes so that we who are poor can become rich through Christ. But Jesus gave everything and He asks you to give everything to Him, to surrender your life. That means everything you own belongs to Him. That means your time is actually His. That means your very life and your talents and your gifting you recognize comes from Jesus and therefore belongs to Him. And so you ought to be using it for His glory, not your own. And if you're not willing to sacrifice, you will be derailed and distracted from your mission. You won't be on His mission, you'll be on your own mission. Your own mission to get rich. Your own mission to become famous. Your own mission to become intelligent or to make a name for yourself, or to be selfish and use your time on your own pleasures. If you fail to sacrifice for Jesus, if I fail to sacrifice for Jesus, I will not be on my mission. As soon as I quit sacrificing, I'm out. I'm out of the mission. The mission of God is all about sacrifice. Jesus stepped out of heaven. He became a man, and he sacrificed everything. His whole life was about sacrifice. You don't see Jesus doing anything selfish in his life. It was always about others. It was always about sacrifice, culminating in the cross where Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice for our sin. It says, now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Here is good intentions. The road to hell is paved with good intentions, right? We all have good intentions or you wouldn't be here this morning. We want to follow God. We want to serve God. We want to be on our mission. We say to God, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Just like Peter, right before he denied Jesus, told Jesus, I will never deny you, even if I have to die for you. I don't doubt for one second that Peter was sincere. And I don't doubt whoever this is was sincere. Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. Good intentions. Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. In other words, if you want to follow me, you're going to make sacrifices. You're not going to have a comfortable life. Then he said to another, follow me. Probably the two most important words that Jesus can ever utter to you. Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Which sounds like a noble thing to do, but the thing is that the dad isn't dead yet. What he means is, let me go and make preparations let me go and get all my ducks in a row, Jesus. I, I've got things I've got to take care of first. And when I get all of my 
plans and all of my family affairs in order, then I'll follow you. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who were at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. All of these things are about sacrifice. And here's the thing, you guys. These are good intentions. All of these people want to follow Jesus, but none of them are willing to make sacrifices. And here's what I want to leave you with. None of what these people want to do is wrong. The the one man wants to go and bury his father. He wants to take care of his family. He wants to set up his family so that they're taken care of. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. But Jesus said you need to make sacrifices. If you want to go do that, if that's what you want to spend your life doing, then go do it. Jesus doesn't say to him, you're in sin. Jesus says, if you want to be on my mission, then go and preach the kingdom of God. Let the dead bury their own dead. Don't worry about having all of your ducks in a row. This is going to take sacrifice. The other man says, Jesus, I want to follow you. I really want to follow you. But first, let me go bid them farewell who are at my house. And Jesus, knowing this person's heart, knowing what they meant by that, said, look, your eyes are focused on something else other than me. If you want to follow me, then it's going to take sacrifice. You're going to have to keep your hands to the plow. Because when you're plowing a field, it only takes one look back and you start to veer off. Just a little bit. And you get back. And then you look back. And, now, and, you, and if you were to look at that field, if you were to look at those plow lines, they, they would be just a little bit crooked. And that's what happens with many of us on our mission. We're looking back. Looking back at, I, I really want to go pursue this thing. Looking back and saying, I, I really want to go after this. Oh, oh, but I, I can't. I get back and then... And see, your heart, like the, the heart of Lot's wife, is, is always back somewhere else. It's always looking back. It's always thinking of something other than your mission. And when you do that, it doesn't matter what it is. For some of you, it's outright sin, and you need to repent. But for others of you, it's, it's not really anything wrong. Maybe it's an education. I, I really want to go and pursue that. Maybe it's preparing a comfortable life for your kids and and, and, and you're working really hard to, to make sure that they can have everything that you never had. Or maybe it's pursuing your career, getting your business established. It may not be anything wrong. It might be a hobby that's harmless. It's not sin, but it's distracting you from your mission. And Jesus says, count the cost. What do you want to do? What do you want your life to be about Do you want it to be about me? Do you want it to be about preaching the kingdom? Do you want it to be about bringing glory to me? Then you're going to have to make sacrifices because the mission of God is all about sacrifice. Let's stand and pray. Father, thank you for this time in your word. Lord, I pray that these truths would capture our heart. God, I pray that we would look at these things that, that cause us to be derailed and distracted from your mission and that, Lord, we would repent of that that, God, we would confess it to you, and that, Lord, today we would get back on our mission of pointing people to you, Jesus. Lord, thank you for the mission that you're on and that you've included us in that mission. God, use us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Pastor Ryan Couch of Calvary Chapel, Crook County. For more information, you can write to us at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon, 97754. Thanks for listening, and God bless.